You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. Feeling good, feeling healthy this episode. Very thankful for that. Uh, we have a fun That's episode. Positive. Yes, it's a positive. We're starting off positive this, this episode <laughs> compared to last week. Uh, we have a good episode for you guys today. We're going to be talking about a new transfer that USC picked up. It's a transfer in, not out. That's something new for USC fans, but kinda, that is a thing. Kind of crazy, you know. The uh, the transfer portal has uh, been negative for USC. They, they've got a you know a plus minus rating uh, of negative, I think eight right now or something like that. Like it, it's down there. So yes. uh, you know they got to score some more points with them on the floor to get that plus minus rating up. Exactly. And then we're gonna talk about the NFL draft. Uh, who were the winners and losers out of that, uh, specifically USC. And then we're going to answer your questions. We've got a lot of questions this week, Shotgun. Thank you to everyone who emailed us and tweeted at us. As a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom. You can also email us questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Send us your questions. We want to we answer yeah. you guys. We want to see your, up in, your stock up, stock downs. Don't send any bull crap stock neutrals. Hey, no. Nuh-uh. Oh, by yeah, the way, exactly. Hokey Nuh-uh. Pokey is a man. I said last week I didn't know what their gender was. He tweeted at me. He is a man. Well, so that's good to hear. Now we know. Uh, yeah, so usually on Wednesdays around 3 p.m., look for a tweet from either Shotgun or I. We send out a last-minute call for questions, and you can get your burning questions in that way as well. So Hey, if you have any questions that you want us to answer as well, you can email or tweet us and just put hashtag Family Feud Podcast, and we'll answer those as well. Literally any way, we will put it on the podcast. And yeah. it's the off-season, so if you have some weird hypothetical roster situation you want us to explore, we'll do it. You would ask for hypotheticals. I hate hypotheticals. I know you do. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. <laughs> All righty, well, let's get, into, let's get into the meat of the podcast. First off, News your item on Friday, USC picked up a transfer out of the transfer portal. Drew Richmond, a tackle out of Tennessee, six foot six, three twenty, a former four star prospect. He can play immediately as a redshirt senior, so he has one to play one. Shotgun, this seems like a good thing for USC. What is your take on it? Definitely, this is a big pickup for USC. An experienced offensive lineman, something they lack. You know, they're trying to fill three positions right now from last season where they lost some guys to the to the NFL draft to graduation. So now you got an extra guy that has experience. So I think that's only going to 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 boost the competition, you know, especially after this spring when, you know, there wasn't much competition with that first from first team to second team. So you get Drew Richmond in there. He's going to battle for one of those tackle spots. He started all 12 games for Tennessee last year at the right tackle spot. I think he started 25 games or played in 25 games during his career there. Uh, he was one of the top five uh, offensive linemen coming out of high school, coming out of Memphis uh, University, I believe, was the high school he was at. So he's coming in. He's going to have an opportunity to compete immediately because he has one year to play, um, and you know he's going to be here for one year. It's a one-year rental kind of thing, uh, just like Steve, Stevie Tuikolavatu was. This is an experienced guy coming in into a position of uh, where you don't have a lot of depth. So I think it's a great Great pickup for USC. You know, a guy that has experience in the SEC going against, you know, some of those edge rushers that you just saw drafted in the first round, Josh Allen, you know, going against, uh, potentially going up against Quentin Allen. Haven't watched the Tennessee Alabama tape yet, but watched a little bit of the Georgia tape. You know, he's, he gets some push off the ball, a little inconsistent, you know, which 
will happen when you're facing an, a defensive line like uh, Georgia has had in the past couple of years. But you know, I, I think that you know it's a positive move for USC to get someone that has that experience, and he's going to be able to coach up some of those younger guys too. You know, he's going to be battling with Jalen McKenzie at that right tackle position, likely because you think Austin Jackson's probably solidified himself at left tackle. So then the question becomes. Where is Jalen McKenzie? Is he going to be able to, to beat out Drew Richmond, or does he potentially move inside because he's played some inside previously? Does he battle with Elijah Vera Tucker and Andrew Voorhees for one of those guard positions too? That The extra competition is only going to make this, this group better, I think. Yeah, that was the knock we had coming out of spring camp is that when you have such a, a drop-off in talent between the first team and the second team, you don't really have guys pushing up the first team so that they're coming out each day and competing hard because, you know, there's not really a battle for that starting spot. So having a guy who will increase the competition, I think is a good thing. You mentioned Stevie Tui Kulavatu. I mentioned this on the Dan pod. I think best case scenario for USC, it goes like how that went for USC. You know, you have an older guy with experience, experience in a different conference, a, a tougher conference, and he brings a maturity to a younger group, you know, a maturity and leadership and outside perspective. I think that always helps. Fresh blood always helps. So I think um, that will help USC's offensive line. But I think this also, a fresh start might be good for Drew Richmond. The, uh, the knock on him was he would have sometimes, you know, false starts or, or boneheaded penalties at the wrong time. And sometimes USC's offensive line has been known for that. But I think if Drew Richmond can come in, get coached by Tim Drevno, have a, a fresh scenery, a new start, maybe that will help him as well. So it seems like this could be mutually beneficial for both parties. And he's a fifth-year senior, so he's 23, 24 years old. You know, just having another older guy in that in that locker room, in that group, in that position group, because you don't have a lot of those. Yep. All those guys are gone now. The yep. Chris Browns, the Toa Lobendons, those guys are gone, Chuma Doga. Now you, you don't have a fifth-year senior on, on that group. Um, you know, even Jordan Austin, who was on that group, he's gone now. So I, I think this infusing with more experience, an older guy that can help teach up, and, you know, a guy that's seen some different type of players in the SEC and been coached up probably a different way. So he can say, you know, if there's a particular thing that someone's struggling with on the offensive line, he could probably help that person out. Yeah, I think it's a big pickup for USC. I think just increasing the competition and the experience level of that group is only going to help um, that unit. And like I always say, you're going to have injuries on the offensive line. You're going to have injuries there and running backs always. So having an extra body and, and another guy that can uh, you know can battle for a, posi- a starting position, and especially if you get Clayton Bradley back, you get Bernard Sherman back. Yeah. You know Liam Jimmins takes a, another step forward, and you know as he's moved over, he w- he looked good in his limited time you know as an offense lineman. So I think you, that you have some talent there, and I think that an experienced guy is only going to help in the locker room and also with the competition on the field. Completely agree. Now you mentioned this already um, a little bit. If you were Tim Drevno and you see the cards laying out in front of you as who you have to put into a starting lineup. How does Drew Richmond add a wrinkle into all that? You know, it, it gives you more versatility because of a guy like Jalen McKenzie, because he's a guy that has played inside and has played outside. It, it puts a little more you know, onus on those two guards that you think are going to be your starting guys right now to solidify themselves. Andrew Voorhees, you know, he struggled at times last year. He was back healthy this spring. He looked really good at times. Can he, you know, is he going to be the guy? Is Elijah Vera Tucker, he's a guy that me, me and you, you know, were, yep. were really pulling for last year to get some extra opportunities. He looked good in the spring. He was really good in the one-on-ones. So, you know, is he a guy that, that Jalen McKenzie gets, uh, can compete with? Or does Jalen McKenzie just get bumped out? I think just adding Drew Richmond adds another level of competition. That's only good because, like it, like we said, coming out of spring, it was the, there were five guys. Those five guys were going to be the first team. There was no one really in competition with any of those in an individual position to kind of move up because of the guys that were injured. 
were kind of supposed to be those guys that are bridge guys, you know, the tweeners that you don't know where they're going to fit. And you didn't have that competition. Yeah. So you had, and you don't have the experience, you know, with that second group at all. This will at least bump someone down that has a little bit more experience too. So if Drew Richmond takes over that spot, if Jalen McKenzie, Jalen McKenzie has some experience, you know, he's played last year for Chuma Doga a bit. So he's a guy that will be, you know, if he gets bumped down the second string or Elijah Van Tucker or uh, uh, Andrew Voorhees, all three of those guys have played some. So I think that just adds a little bit more experience to that, that second uh, group as well. And you get a better look for your second string defense. You know, I think it just, it has a waterfall effect uh, on the offensive line, but also on the defensive side as well. I completely agree. Um, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, I like seeing guys in PRPs, new guys, and see how, how they kind of, you know, because everyone's going to look at him and be like, okay, what does this guy have? And so it's, I want to see what he looks like, uh, how he, he performs in PRPs and, and go for there. I think it's a, it's a fun wrinkle. And he's got to win that spot still. I yeah. mean, just because he's played in the SEC, you know, that doesn't mean he's going to come in and immediately take over spot. Now, when you're recruiting a guy like that, you tell him, you know, we've seen we've seen your tape. We think you can come in, but you got to prove it now that you're on, when you come to campus. You know, yeah. you, it, you can't just come in and be like, I'm going to be given a spot. Yeah. You know, th- and he actually said something about that in his, uh, I think in his Players Tribune note that he wrote to the kids is like he expected when he he was told he was going to come in and start as a freshman. That's how they recruited him, and then when he didn't, he was a little bit upset about it. So you know, and he was looking for affirmation when after every game on Twitter and stuff, and he wasn't really getting it. So I think he's learned from that situation. I think he's going to come in and know that he's got to win that job, not just expect it to be handed to him. And another reason why adding that type of mindset, that maturity to the team, only only helps in that sense. Yep. So uh, that will be interesting to see and see how that develops. Moving on to the NFL draft, it happened started on Thursday, ended on Saturday. USC had four Trojans drafted just to go the rundown Chuma Adoga was drafted first out of USC players he's drafted to the Jets in the third round he was the 92nd pick overall uh, Iman Marshall was drafted by the Ravens in the fourth round he was the 127th pick Marvell Tell to the Colts in the fifth round the 144th pick uh, interesting enough the Colts listed him as a corner off the bat so we'll talk about that development there and then lastly Cam Smith to the Vikings in the fifth round the 162nd pick Port Augustine was not drafted he was ultimately signed two days later uh, with the Saints but out of the draftees and adding in Port Augustine what were your thoughts about how the draft went for USC it, it kind of played out what we expected to an extent you know I think I had I basically had someone going in the third fourth fifth sixth and seventh one person each round now Port Augustine doesn't go I think I had him up in between Imar Marshall and Marvell Tell if I remember correctly you know, I thought that he would have a better chance. Now, we don't know what all played an impact in where he ended up not being drafted. You know, was it the, you know, the the, the false test at uh, at the combine and, you know, failing the, the drug test, even though he had an excuse for it? Um, you know, I, I don't know if it was that. I don't know. I think it was more the injury history. And I think that's kind of what he put out on Instagram was saying, you know, he basically played through some things when, you know, being a warrior and maybe he shouldn't have been. Uh, so that was kind of an interesting post there just to, to see that, you know. Uh, yeah, if I can jump in. So he said, I've always played through pain, even extreme pain, as long as I believed I could still help my team win. I've considered this quality to be a direct reflection of where I came from, how I was raised and my overall toughness. I've learned over the last couple of years that sometimes what you believe to be your greatest strength turns out to be your greatest weaknesses. My pride blinded me and I have paid a heavy price for it. I wish I would have realized this a long time ago. For anyone reading this, don't make the mis- same mistakes I did. That being said, my lesson has been learned. My health is good as ever, and there's a lot of ball left to play. This is just the beginning. So kind of cryptic, kind of interesting. Bit. What did you take away from that post, though? 
that he came back too early. I mean, he, I mean, he admitted that even you know at, at the media day uh, last year. Yeah, I did come back a little bit early, but I think that's just further affirmation that he pushed himself in the lineup too. That that he was the one you know pushing to to go, and he probably needed the adult in the room to tell him, okay, well, if we put you on twenty play snap count against Arizona State, we're going to stick to that, even though you know we we need you to be success. We want you to be successful in this game. You know, and, and those are the things that didn't happen. And he pushed himself, and maybe he pushed himself too hard to come back from some injuries and tried to push too hard, and sometimes you just got to let your body heal. It's it's difficult for a guy like Porter Gustin who w- wants to go and work to improve himself. That sometimes you, you're best off by not doing anything. You know, sometimes you just got to let the body heal itself, and that's a difficult thing to do for guys that are very active and think they can, you know, push themselves to higher success and to be better. Um, so I think that that's kind of what I take out of it. I think that it also shows you that part of the reason why he was not drafted is because of the injury concerns. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't post that immediately after the draft if you if you were drafted and you know you didn't have the injury concerns. If you slid down a little bit, I think that that played a big part into it. I think that's what that that post kind of tells us. So you know, I'm surprised that he goes to the Saints. You know, I haven't. Um, you know, I just don't know exactly where he fits in there because I think they run a four three. I have to check on that as well. That's one thing that's in my research list of things to look up this week, um, along with more Drew Richmond tape. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure that he fits there. So I'm, I'm interested to see how they try to play him. Is he going to be a defensive end, or is he going to be an outside linebacker? If it is a true, if it is a true four three, then is he playing outside linebacker and dropping more? Uh, that's going to be interesting to see what they try to do with him uh, and how that affects his chances of making the team, uh, because obviously he's not on the team right now. It's not, okay, we'll see how they use him. It's, okay, can he find a niche to be on that team and for them to keep him around? And I think that's kind of the question for a couple of those other guys that we'll get to in a minute that are undrafted free agents and seeing if they can find a, a spot. But going back to the guys that are drafted, Chuma Doga, I, I think he's in a good spot because the Jets have both of their starting tackles are free agents after this, this season. So maybe he gets groomed to be the next starting right or left tackle. You know, he showed some versatility that he could play on both sides during the senior bowl. I think he's got an opportunity to go in and, and become a protector for Sam Darnold. I think he's in a good spot there. Emar Marshall going to the Ravens. I think that is a, a team and drafted as a cornerback, not a safety, and for a team that likes physicality. You know, the Ravens have been built on that over the last, I don't know, 15 years with Ray Lewis and, you know, and uh, Jimmy Smith on the outside and Ed Reed as a ball hawk safety. They want physicality. So I think he's a good fit there. That's a good fit for him. I think he has a chance to excel there. So those are the guys that I think they're in great positions. Now, let's see, where does Marvell Tell fit in as a cornerback with the Colts? That's going to be interesting. Yeah. I haven't looked at their depth chart to see as far as corners versus safeties. I think he's a guy that could be a swing guy. You know, you can play him as a nickelback even because he's played a lot of that with, you know, when Chris Hawkins and Leon McQuay were on the field at the same time. So I think he can come down in the box. He can be that guy, and then he can help out in the run game. So maybe you play him at the nickel cornerback position. So that's why you say he's a cornerback. But he's going to play in the box as a, you know, as a guy that can cover but also can come up and hit guys. So maybe that's where you see him. I'm 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 not sure what the Colts are going to do with him and I, and that's kind of the one that's the one to keep an eye on the most, I think. Yeah. Apparently the Colts play more zone, so he'd be he wouldn't be like a man-to-man corner where gotcha. I feel like he wouldn't he wouldn't excel that that way. I think he, it's easier 
in the zone system for him. Yeah, I think so. And if you're, you know, if you're playing as a zone corner, that length that he has is is a big benefit there. Yeah, he can get his hands on guys. He can push guys around in his area. I, then I think that could be a good fit for him. We'll see though how they if they put him inside, they put him outside. If he roams around, if they move him to different spots, you know, maybe they they see him as a versatile guy that they can put in a couple different places, and you know, he can be the backup in three or four different spots. So when somebody goes down, he's in there regardless yeah. of who goes down. That type of thing. And then Cam Smith with the Vikings, you know, he's just got to go in and, and continue to do what he did at USC. Do it at the NFL level. And if he does what he did at USC, he will find he'll be on the roster and he'll work his way into a starting lineup. He's just, if he just is as productive like he was at USC, I think that he's going to be a guy that people are like, wow, that fifth round pick. He's been around for nine years now. That type of guy. <laughs> yeah. Like he, he's super, you know, he's super intelligent. He diagnoses plays well. So it's all about just being consistent, making the tackles, being able to shed blocks and run from sideline to sideline. You know, can he overcome the quote-unquote physical limitations that he has? You know, he, he's a, a physical guy, but he's not the most physical. He runs fast enough, but he's not the fastest. You know, all the things. He, he's not the best in anything. He's just really good at He's just good at everything, and he's very uh, a very cerebral player that can diagnose really well. Diagnosing is one of the – it's the hardest thing to define for linebackers, you know, when you're trying to judge and scout them. But – it determines how quickly you can get into a starting line, how quickly you can play. If you can figure out what the other team is doing, then you can get to the spot before their lineman can, before you know, before the other team can, can do exactly what they want to do. Yeah. Now going into uh, the undrafted free agents and invitees, as we mentioned, Porter Gustin uh, signed with the Saints. He did get a camp invite with the Bills, uh, but turned that down. Tolo Obadon, as you mentioned, with the Jets. Chris Brown ended up with the Chargers. Malik Dorton with the Raiders. Ajayna Harris with the Eagles. August Cedric Ware got invited to the Redskins camp. And Reuben Peters with the Ch- uh, Chiefs invite. Yeah, so I think that you look at that group and, and the name that stands out, is maybe Chris Brown with the Chargers. You know, I, I think that staying local, you know, they've seen him more often than these other teams probably have. He has an opportunity to to add some depth there. If he can get on the practice squad, maybe he can work his way up and become a player. Uh, you know, that, that's going to be one that, you know, you invite usually 10 to 15 players uh, you, or you sign 10 to 15 undrafted free agents and invite some other guys to camp. Now you got to start working your way up. So he's the guy I think that has the best chance of that group outside of Port Augustine to potentially uh, to potentially make his way and earn a spot on a, on a roster. That's going to be the thing: is can any of these guys do them? First off, do you make the first cut? Yeah. If you make the big first cut, okay. Now, now you've taken a step. So that tells you that you have an opportunity. Even if you get cut, you know you continue work and maybe you'll hook on, on with a team later. You make the first cut. Then you try to make the team. Then you go from there. You try to you know you try to make the practice squad. Then you try to make the team. So I think that that's what the the, the process is for these guys. I think Jenny Harris with the Eagles has an opportunity. You know he's a guy that we just think you know the way he studies the game, the way he attacks and works. He's a guy that can potentially be a Nickel Roby. You know go from undrafted to working your way up and becoming a starter. Yep, and then as far as those not drafted or not signed, Isaiah Langley, Jonathan Lockett, Tyler Petit, and Jordan Austin. Surprising at all for Tyler Petit or no? Not necessarily Tyler Petit. I thought Isaiah Langley was probably the one that I was more surprised by. You know, he, he played um, s- several games for USC. He was a top 100 recruit coming out. Um, I thought he might get an opportunity, and there's still the chance that some of these guys will, you know, someone gets injured going into camp. We'll call somebody up, and, and that may happen. But uh, it's kind of disappointing for this group, as 
many seniors that USC had leaving this year that you only had four guys drafted. Yeah. And that you still have four guys that were un- unsigned. Now, out of this group, maybe five or six guys are going to make a team. But yeah, it's kind of disappointing with as as talented of a uh, senior group that they didn't have a better standing. But that's what happens when you go five and seven. That's what happens when you rotate coaches in and out and you don't have the consistency and you don't have the good coaching uh, that they've been lacking uh, at some positions in the past few years. Yeah, and while we're on this subject, I'm actually going to jump into a question that we received from a friend of the pod, Patrick. He says, how does it affect Clay Helton and the program going forward that no USC player was drafted before round three this year? I don't think that it necessarily affects Clay Helton, but or the program per se, but it just it's another blemish on the on the program. It's another thing that you're like, wait, USC usually has you know so and so many draft picks every year. USC still is the number one school for draft picks overall. They have 509 now, but other other schools are creeping up on them. Other schools are creeping up on the first round picks. So you know you're like, if you look at those and you're like, oh, these are marks that we've held for I don't know 15, 20 years now since uh, you know since the heyday of the Carroll era, where I think is when they passed some of those teams. Then you start going. It shows the overall decline in the program and the talent level and the talent level being coached up. And I think that's where what shows um, with some of these is that the talent has not been developed as much as it could at other as much as other schools have developed some players. Yeah. Whereas you have just the overall standing of guys in the recruiting rankings as a group versus other programs and how they've gone up or down. Uh, you know, looking at the draft picks and stuff. I think that's what shows. Um, from there being no one in the in the first two rounds, and I think it was the first time since two thousand two, two thousand three. Chris Richard being the third round pick. I wrote all this out at, at, on a post on the P, but uh, you know it was only the second time in like forty or fifty years that USC has not had a first or second round pick. So that tells you that you know they're used to it and that the talent level just has not been the same as it was in the past. Yeah, and USC has a three-pick lead over Notre Dame uh, for overall draft picks by a school. So that's – if USC loses it next year to Notre Dame, what is that another source of pride kind of diminishing for USC fans? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that anytime you lose anything to Notre Dame especially <laughs> it is uh, even more – uh, disappointing there, so I, I think that the that the Trojans need to improve their the development of players has to improve if they want to hold on to that lead. And losing it to Notre Dame is just an extra like you know jab in the side, uh, you know extra knife in the back if it's Notre Dame is the one school that that passes them. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, any final thoughts about the draft and who was drafted and who was not? Winners and losers. Who won and who lost out of out of this whole process? I mean, I think that Iman Marshall ends up in a great spot uh, there, and I think Chuma Doga. You know, the question was, I thought he might bump up the second round. I know people think that crazy. That's crazy because he went at the end of the third. But I thought, depending on how the draft played out, and I thought the same thing with Iman Marshall that he might move up an extra round, depending on how the runs go. Because you see it all the time. You know, you look at the draft board in the middle of the second round. You're like, why are there six DBs selected in eight picks? Well, teams go, oh crap, everybody's drafting the DB. I'm, you know, I got to trade up and get one. You're like, why are the people are trading up so much in the fourth round to get anybody? Well, because they see a run like that happen, they want to make sure they get the guy that they've been eyeing. And I, I thought if there were some runs, you know, late in the first round or early in the second round, that Chuma Doga might slide up higher than he did. But I, I think it's a good fit for him. 
because, you know, there's familiarity there. There's people to help him out. You know, with Chuma being there, with Leonard Williams being there, with Deontay Burnett, former Trojans, you know, all with the Jets right now, I think that he has an opportunity to go in there. And what they're looking for is for him to potentially take over spot. You know, that, well, that's what you look at because they didn't draft any other linemen, if I remember correctly. Uh, they might have drafted one other, maybe an inside guy, but, you know, they're not drafting, a, they didn't draft a bunch of linemen. So they're expecting him to come in and be a guy. I was, for some reason, took a deep dive on Jets Reddit and someone posted, <laughs> We the Trojans now. They're like, We have too many USC players. So I just thought that was funny. Um, Alrighty, shall we move into questions then, Shottington? Sure. Uh, we have a question from Daniel who says, since the playbook is already installed, other than nobody getting injured and wide receivers building a rapport with the quarterbacks, what else would you like to see accomplished during player-run practices? Competition. It's the biggest thing. You know, there have been more install stuff, and it's kind of the, the difference in the PRPs the last two years probably than before of that because there just hasn't been the same amount of competition. And you want to see those guys that are really competitive going after it. You want to see, you know, Amon Ross, St. Brown going after, you know, one of those DBs. You want to see Elijah Griffin get back healthy. And that's the other thing is getting some back guys back healthy that they weren't able to practice during the spring if some of those guys are able to, to come on. And I always look to, you know, just to see, um, you know, what the first-year guys can do. You know, when the new guys come in, yep. the guys that weren't in the spring, how quickly can they start picking up things and how quickly are they being taught up by the other players? You know, those are some of my favorite pictures is, you know, Porter Augustin when he first gets to USC and, you know, having, you know, or Jay Tavelli first getting to USC and Ray, Rasheem Green teaching him up. I can't, think, I can't think of who it was with Porter Augustin. Maybe Scott Felix. You know, and just yeah. when those guys, they're baby-faced when they first arrive on campus and you see the veteran guys are taking them under their wing and showing them, all right, this is how we line up. This is where we're playing. This is what we're looking for on these plays. Uh, you know, the, that's what you need. You need that camaraderie in the team. To be able to for your seniors, your veteran leaders to take in the young guys, and that's how you build towards that 105 working towards the same goal. Yeah, I would say competitiveness slash fun reintroduced. You know, <laughs> I talk about it, but I love the whole juju going against the Dory type of PRPs where it's just it's competitive, but they still have fun. They're still remembering, okay, this is what the game I played since I was young. You know, I think that always helps. Um, I would like to see a quarterback kind of take a leadership role. And that's something that Graham Harrell said. Mm -hmm. um, so taking a page out of his book, if you will. But I think that's more important maybe uh, than the wide receivers building rapport with uh, the QBs. I think having a leader establish himself on the offense is so important for this team. We've talked about it for years now on this podcast. So if you can see leaders emerge on the offense, specifically at the quarterback position, I think that's really needed. So you kind of get a head start, a jump start before fall camp starts. I agree with all those things. You know, the, the leadership at the quarterback position is going to be a key component, it seems, of deciding who earns that spot. So, you know, maybe we get a little sneak peek about who's uh, leading that, that position uh, going into the fall, you know, based on what we see in the PRPs. Yeah, and it's not also, sure. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe. And it's also interesting to see if there's any underrated development between spring camp and PRP. So if somehow like Jack Sears comes out and starts to be the leader, it's like, okay, what happened between spring camp and like, you know, how do these guys position themselves in the off season and how do they make their, their moves, if you will. Got to make them moves. The money moves. Uh, we have a question from Jalen. He says, I live in Seattle. Any reason why Clay Hilton isn't recruiting this area and Ford sports kids harder? I would say because they've struggled. You know, if they were... 10-2 and two last year, then you can go. It, it's much more difficult to go outside of your 
comfort area, your local recruiting area, when you're struggling. Because now you're trying to get Savelle Smalls and you're trying to get JT, JT Tuimoloa. Tuimoloa? I can't remember that. I always I struggle with I that. Still haven't, I still haven't got that one down yet. But I will because he's the top player in 2021. Uh, you know, those guys, you definitely want them. You want to be recruiting them. But if you're not getting any interest back, Savelle Smalls just, just, you know, I talked to him in Mesquite at a tournament and he's just like, yeah, I'm not really interested in USC. Why is he not interested in USC? Because they're not playing well. And where there's a local school right down the street that is playing much better than USC recently, you know, over the last four years, I guess, if you want to take that span, the direction of the Washington program is much better than the USC direction right now. So that's why that program's in it. That's why Alabama's in it. That's why Clemson's in it. Those are the schools that those five-star guys are looking at right now and not USC. So, you know, just because it's on the West Coast doesn't mean that USC has a stranglehold over it. You know, you if it's out of your no, local recruiting base, it's still you still have to be performing to go out and recruit players in. It's kind of it's similar in Arizona. Now, Arizona, it, it helps USC that there hasn't been – Arizona State and Arizona are not, you know – killing it the way that Washington is necessarily. Uh, they're not competing for that Pac-12 championship every year. So there's not the same you know competition level there. So USC has been able to get a couple players out of Arizona. But I think if Arizona State continues what they're doing, I've heard a lot of good things about the way they're recruiting. So it's going to be harder and harder for USC to go to Arizona and get, get players. USC hasn't really recruited the Northern California area much the last couple of years. So it's been mostly, mostly Southern California. So that's where they've got to you got to focus on your local recruiting base and take care of that business and then go out from there when you're when you're doing well. So USC would like to get up there and get some of those FSP kids cuz they're really good. You know, I've watched them a couple times this this spring. They they're really good. There's some really good players in there. Sam Adams, you know, the running back, he's a guy that USC's trying to recruit. DJ Rogers the the tight end. They're trying to recruit those guys. They're just not having as much success and I think it all stems back from the team not in the program not having success. It, what's the saying? A rising tide lifts all boats. Winning kind of for a program does helps everything. It helps your recruiting, it helps everything. One of the things is when you have a recruiting hotbed like Southern California, it's easier to, to rein things in and be like, okay, we're not pulling kids from Florida or Georgia or Texas right now with consistency. We're not going out and getting the Chuma Doga. We're not getting the number one tackle from across the country. So let's rein it in. Let's focus on our local kids because there's a ton of talent in Southern California every year. And that may also be part of it, the fact that USC may be focusing on some other guys locally because they know they have a better shot because they didn't win last year. Yeah, exactly. We have two questions that you don't particularly like talking about the subject. So strap in, shotgun. Uh, Jim says, what are the chances of Reggie Bush getting his Heisman back? Why do I not like this question? We've talked about it. I've asked you off pod about Reggie Bush stuff before, and you're like, do your shotgun. What are his chances of getting him back? I mean, that's hard to say. That's all in the NCAA. Should he get it back? Yes. I mean, I think he's done his his penance. You know, uh, he's, he's... Done his time for the crime. I think he should be allowed to come back now. I mean, it's been, what, 10 years, 12 years, 14 years now? 2005? When did they actually rule on it? 2009, I want to say? Yeah. So this would be 10 years, I think. I want to say it was when I was coming into grad school. So that was uh, 2009. So I want to say it's been 10 years. So you can say, okay, going into the season, you've done your penance for 10 years. You can be allowed back in the pro, or you can be allowed back on your own campus now. That's just kind of crazy. And I mean, there's a lot of things like he did not finish his degree, I do not believe, because he left early. He graduated, or I don't think he graduated early. I think he left early. 
So what if he wants to come back and finish his degree? You're going to tell someone they can't get a degree anymore? Like that's, I just don't understand like how that would even be legal. Yeah, well, that leads us into our second question, ready to vote question, from PC Fan. He says, does the NCAA sanctions trump the freedom of press? Can the NCAA sanctions prevent Reggie from covering USC if that requires him to be on campus? It would be quite interesting to see Fox attorneys take up this case. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they could do that. And, I mean... Maybe you get through, there's a loophole, and you say, well, the Coliseum's not on campus. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what the wording of the NCAA sanctions are. You know, allowed to be, he's not allowed to be associated with the program. So maybe you could say, well, he's working for Fox Sports, so he's not associated with USC. But I don't know if he would be allowed to come like to maybe the line they would draw would be like, well, as long as he doesn't come on campus, he's allowed. And so you can't come watch practices or whatever. I don't know. I mean, it's all very like gray and it makes no sense at all. Like, just just let the man come back. You got way more issues right now in the NCAA. It's it's like, okay, I think we realized that we we jailed that man for for 50 years for stealing something. We've got, you know, a, a rampage going on out here. We, we probably should worry about that stuff more than the guy that stole something. Like It's kind of like the, there's other crimes going on that are much more uh, having a much bigger impact on the NCA and the current court cases that are going on and the emission scandal and all that stuff. It's kind of like maybe we'll just let that other one slide in the past and we'll focus on the, on the present rather than what happened in the past. But that involves common sense. And that's, that's true. It's a very that's a that's the most valid point you've ever made. Wow. The NCA does not common sense. And the NCA do not go together. They do not. And like I said, I've said this before. It doesn't seem like the whole Reggie Bush case is objective. It seems very personal. Um, and it seems just like there's just a whole lot there. That's just a lot of baggage with both parties, mainly on the NCA. It's it's pretty odd. Um, but as far as the legality, it's interesting when you get into that whole area, just because. One of the things that came out of the Todd McNair trial was that uh, Judge Frederick Schaller ruled that uh, the show cause penalty on Todd McNair was illegal in the state of California. So if you want to extrapolate that, what does that mean for Reggie Bush coming back um, and potentially he can't do his job if with this ban? You know, Does the NCAA have that right to stop someone from doing that? Nope. The answer is nope. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely weird. In a gray area. But the thing is about all of this is that you kind of need USC to, they have to be a, a, a aggressor on this. And so far they've been so passive that. It's I don't, not- I don't think USC has to be aggressive on this. I think if Fox wants to be aggressive on this. True. I, I think I was more talking about Reggie Bush getting his Heisman back, oh. but yeah, I think it seems like Reggie Bush is willing to kind of get in those waters, whereas I feel like USC is like, we have a lot on our hands right now. That eh, is also we true. Don't really, we don't want to go into this. You know, it, it's just, it doesn't seem like something they want to do. If I was Reggie, I just never would have given the Heisman back. I'm like, what are you going to do? Come take it? Come on. <laughs> like, I'll race you for it. <laughs> like, uh, if you can tackle me, you can take it. <laughs> we have one final question from our friend, Chris Chavino. He says, is a hot dog a sandwich? The answer is no. Oh, I wanted to fight you on this. No, the hot dog's not a sandwich because a sandwich is is meat between two slices of bread, and a hot dog is not between two slices. It's one concave, <laughs> concave piece of bread. Yeah, 
I would agree. I, I was going to say that there's a horizontal element to sandwiches. <laughs> you know, the meat has to be horizontal. The bread has to be horizontal. But in a bun, it's just kind of there, you know? A hamburger bun? Wow. Okay. So is a is a burger a sandwich? I guess technically, yes. But a hot dog's not a sandwich. Hot dog's not a sandwich. A burger, though. Technically is. Technically a sandwich. Wow. Ending this podcast on an agreement again. What are we What are we doing, Shaka? I don't know. What's your favorite hot dog, though? What's my favorite? I asked Chris this because apparently Chris is a hot dog connoisseur, and he so gave we me should have him list. on the show. But he's, he's too not sick. even here. He's yeah. too sick. He doesn't even listen Ooh. to this podcast, so we can shade him all we want. It's fine. Um, I I've never had a danger dog, but they always smell so good after oh, sporting events. They're definitely up there. That would that that's, would be that's Chris's number one ranking. The danger dog. I like chili cheese dogs probably more. Okay, be, probably be up there. But I, I like like the specialty dogs and stuff, like eating alligator hot dogs and stuff oh, like that. What, I'll, I'll, where did you have an oh, alligator hot dog? Kangaroo hot dog. Bratz Brothers in Sherman Oaks. Wow. Uh, they have a kangaroo. Kangaroo is delicious. Didn't know this before, but delicious. I feel bad for them. They're feisty, though. They're a feisty oh, creature. Those, those dudes are yoked up. I ain't feeling bad for them. <laughs> um, As an Angel fan, Dodger dogs are up there for me. Dodger dogs are very good. Uh, they're at ridiculous prices at the stadium, but well, yeah. But I like the like specialty dogs that all the stadiums are doing now. You put no, that's too uh, much macaroni too and much. cheese on. Oh, macaroni and cheese on a hot dog? Yes. Okay, well, I'm a mac mac and cheese person all the way. I'm just gonna say mac and cheese with some sprinkled like uh, hot Cheetos. I'm all about this no, action. Too much. The simplicity of a dog shotgun. <laughs> you know, I think there has to be some type of water element and heat. You know, it's not about the dog itself. I have to be like coming out of a pool, swam all day, <laughs> handed a hot dog. That's when it just tastes the best. That's hot dog at a barbecue is great. Yes. That's my final answer. <laughs> I don't know why we're in this discussion, but whatever. It's the off-season shotgun. This is what we talk about. <laughs> Alrighty. Any final thoughts um, about Drew Richmond, NFL Draft, Reggie Bush, whatnot? I mean, our favorite subject, Urban Meyer. Reggie Bush said that he and Matt Leinert were going to try and recruit Urban Meyer, if Helton is not retained following this season. Any thoughts on that? Hey, there's a ton of pressure on Clay Helton to do his job this year. Yes. Um, and to do it well. Not just do it, but do it really well. Uh, so we'll see how the season plays out. Yeah, they're going to recruit that guy because he's won. I would be opposed to hiring Urban Meyer. Um, but it would definitely be an interesting element to the discussion when you start uh, debating if USC were to go in a different direction, if that's the guy that we're trying to look at with all the other things they've had going on. You know, do you bring in a guy who is known to have off the field stuff happen um, at his schools when he's coaching? So I, that would be a really interesting development with USC, and, and there's no telling how it will play out because it's USC. There's yep. always going to be something that happens. You know, you, you didn't expect that Steve Sarkeesian would be gone after what, 13 or 14 games, but he was. So, and suddenly you had an interim, then you had, you know, Clay Helton's been the interim before. Before Steve Sarkeesian, he gets after uh, Ed Orgeron leaves. Now Ed Orgeron is doing really, really well at LSU. They have the number one recruiting class in the country right now with three local guys. So that's another product of USC not winning. You now see more and more programs are coming into Southern California and trying to take away some of the best talent because they see USC and UCLA have struggled. Yep. And they also, because USC and UCLA have recently recruited later in the cycle have tried to come in later you know they wait around a little bit more they want to you know they want to uh, do their due diligence i guess or they just don't want to recruit kids really early 
whatever the reason, so they fall, they've fallen behind. Now Oregon has really come in and, and made some marks early. LSU's coming in and making marks early. And USC and UCLA are trying to overcome that later in the cycle. But right now, you're, you're seeing programs like Oregon and LSU get some early commits of some really good, talented players. So we'll see how the, the rest of it plays out. And if, if both of them, USC and UCLA, start winning, a lot changes. And suddenly yep. some of those commitments start getting flipped. Yep. Agreed. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Do you trust Lynn Swan to make the right decision in 2019, whether it is retaining Clay Helton or not, or if he's not retained, making the right decision for a new head coach? Lynn Swan's job is on the hot seat, too. Uh, I think if the the marquee programs don't start winning at USC with a new president coming in, I could easily see his his position being uh, there being a change at the athletic director position as well. Yeah, it seems... Seems like there's some rumblings in that. Trip. Hey, it, it's just like it's a competition period. Go out and be better than everybody else, and you know you win the spot. So now they're competing for their jobs. Yep. Like I said, winning winning fixes a lot. That's true. We'll see. Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up for this week's episode. Thank you all for your questions. If you have any uh, submissions to our podcast or questions, email us at familyfeudpod at gmail or you can tweet at us at Keely is my name at shotgun spr that's gonna wrap it up shotgun all righty we'll see you guys next week